Um, we're enjoying this awesome weather. How many of you are enjoying this awesome weather? It's so beautiful. I love this part of the country, and I'm grateful to be living here. Um, so, for those of you who are new here, we're talking about life in the Spirit. So this year, the theme of this year has been a presence-driven life. And we've been in this series. I call it a series, the Spirit series, um, because in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was equated with the presence of God. Okay, and so we talked all about that in the first part of this series. Uh, you'll have to excuse me. My throat's kind of sore, so... Uh, if I sound raspy and stuff. But anyway, um, so what I was going to say is that within this kind of long-term theme, we have sort of series within series, if that makes sense. And so we first talked about the eschatological perspective. That's really just a fancy pants word for the uh, framework that the whole New Testament uh, is written from, okay, uh, and the significance of the Holy Spirit within that. And then the second major part of uh, this, the second series, so to speak, was uh, the Spirit's role in conversion, and we spent some time on that. And then the last few weeks, we started on this theme, if you will, this series, if you will, within this series called Life in the Spirit, because how many of you know that after you're saved, it doesn't end there, Right? Some people, it seems like, okay, you're saved and that's it. And the Holy Spirit, like, I don't know what happens to him. But no, from the time you're saved until forever, actually, um, we're supposed to live in the Spirit. We're supposed to live our lives by the Holy Spirit, okay? And so this is such an important part of this series because it's really practical. Um, and so the first message we talked about a couple weeks ago, Trisha and I gave our testimony about our journey in life in the Spirit, uh, and that was fun. How many of you here for that? Or did you hear that? Yeah. So that was a good time. And then last week, uh, I talked about Jesus as our example. Was any of you here for that? Yeah. So Jesus was the ultimate man of the Spirit. And in fact, we talked about how the word Christ means anointed one. And it's the Greek version of the word Messiah, which also means anointed one. And then I asked the question, what was he anointed with? The Holy Spirit. That's what made him the Messiah. And he, from his conception to his resurrection, everything about Jesus' life and ministry was about the Spirit. So... Last week, we talked about how he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. If you read the uh, uh, Gospels, um, when Jesus was born, if you remember, even the, the Christmas story, talking about, I have references up there, but Luke one thirty five, Gabriel, uh, what, he uh, visits Mary, and he says, you're going to have a child, and she says, how's this going to happen? I don't know anyone, a guy, uh, and then he says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And you'll be with child, and the child, therefore, will be the Son of God. Okay, so in other words, Jesus was conceived by the Spirit. His dad, technically, was the Holy Spirit. Go figure. Because the Spirit of God is what? God's Spirit. So, one and the same. He was led by the Spirit. We're going to talk about that today. He was led by the Spirit. He was empowered to do ministry by the Spirit. He spoke the Word of God by the Spirit. He was raised from the dead by the Spirit. And we're going to, it's the same with us. Romans 8, 11. Same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is living in you. So if, the same, if we have the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead living in us, how much more will that spirit give life to our mortal bodies? He's going to raise us from the dead. So if Jesus, if we're Christians, right, how many of you know that means we're followers of Christ? Think about what the name means, Christians. 
We already talked about what Christ means. And that's when we're, na- we're little anointed ones, right? We're supposed to be followers of Christ, and he was the ultimate man of the Spirit. And we, we are called to do the same. And that's exactly why it, we, we, talking about the early church now, had to wait in Jerusalem until they received the Holy Spirit, and that was the birth of the church, because then they were anointed with the Spirit. So... That's the one defining characteristic of whether you're a Christian or not. We talked all about this in the conversion part of this series, okay? Right? Whether you have the Spirit or not. And I'll just give you a couple of references on that. Romans 8 9, look at this. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they don't belong to Christ. It's pretty straightforward, right? So, in other words, you need to have the Spirit. That's the one defining characteristic of whether you're saved or not. Once you believe in Jesus, you're what? Born again by the Spirit. It's all about the Holy Spirit. But look at this. This is what we're going to talk about today. If you're interested, I talked more on this stuff last week. Romans 8.14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Isn't that interesting? Think about that. Those who are led by the Spirit are the children. Not just have the Spirit. If you're led by the Spirit. So, of course, then, what, that's an important, an important question is, okay, what does it actually mean to be led by the Spirit? How do we be led by the Spirit? You know what I mean? Like, you see this in the Bible, and it's obviously important, but sometimes we read this kind of stuff, and we're like, okay, well, whatever that means, <laughs> right? Obviously, it's an important thing, and I want to make the case that not only is it important, because, of course, the Scripture and others like it make it important, but that's how Jesus lived, We talked a bit about this last week, but I want to remind you, Jesus is our example, right? We're Christians. We're followers of Christ. And if if this is how he lived, this is exactly how we should live. And I just want to remind you then, what happened? So uh, he was baptized in the River Jordan by John the Baptist. And what happened? Does anyone remember? The Spirit came upon him. And then the voice from heaven came. said, this is my son in whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. The one defining characteristic that made him the Messiah was what? The Spirit. So that was why that was such a significant moment, because the Spirit came upon him. Now he was the Messiah. He started his ministry as the Messianic Christ. Okay. But what did he do? This is the very next verse. Immediately, immediately after he was baptized with the Holy Spirit, look what happens. It said, this is Luke 4, 1 and 2, Jesus full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was what? Led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. Ooh, can you imagine that? It's like the first thing the Holy Spirit tells you to do is go into the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by Satan himself. Whew. That's how obedient Jesus Christ was to the Spirit, though. He said, okay, I'm going to do How many of you would not want to do that? I sure wouldn't want to do that. But Jesus was so obedient. So he went by the Spirit. Think about this. If he was, okay, as soon as he received the Spirit, and he was anointed with the Spirit, the first thing he did is uh, to be led by the Spirit. How many of you know that's what we should be doing, right? That's exactly what we're supposed to do as Christians. Jesus is our example. So as soon as you're saved, as soon as you receive the Spirit, we're called to be led by the Spirit. That's how we're called to live in the New Covenant. Okay? And I'll... I mentioned that in Romans 8.14, but check out these scriptures. Here's three. 
just to get to show you. Uh, this is from Galatians 5, 16, 18, and 25. This is Paul's primary imperative, and we're going to be talking about this more in the future, okay? We're talking about life in the Spirit. But look at what Paul says. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. How many of you think Jesus probably didn't want to go into the wilderness for 40 days and not eat anything? As a, right? Like, no one would want to do that. Thank God he was, what? Because he was led by the Spirit, so he didn't give in to the lusts of the flesh. See, Satan, during his temptation, what was the first thing he tried to do? Hey, Jesus, if you're the Son of God, why don't you turn this stone into bread? Obviously, you're hungry, and your flesh is wanting it, so why don't you do it? Jesus says, no. No way. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Led by the Spirit, didn't give to the lust of the flesh, exactly what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to obey the Spirit, and that's how we stand strong and firm when Satan comes and tries to tempt us with lust of the flesh. The answer is the Spirit. He produces God's character in us. This is, see, people try and pit the fruit of the Spirit against the, the gifts of the Spirit. It's comical. Oh, I'm not really into the gifts. I'm more into the fruit. And other people are like, I'm more into the gifts. And it's like, what are you doing? You don't pit those against each other. What does Paul do? He pits the fruit of the Spirit against the lust of the flesh. That's what we're supposed to do. Because why? When the Holy Spirit produces God's character in you, it's impossible. It's impossible. It's impossible to give into the lust of the flesh. That's what he's saying here. Why? Think about this. If the fruit of the Spirit of joy is in you, is it even possible to complain or to be depressed? Okay? That's why he says against these things there's no law because that, that's the answer. Is the Holy Spirit producing God's character in us and then all these issues, these lusts of the flesh that he lists right before like dissensions and factions and fits of anger, if you have the fruit of the Spirit of love in you, you're not going to Give in to dissensions and arguments and all the stuff, right? That's the answer, the fruit of the Spirit. But if you're led by the Spirit, he goes on to say in verse 18, you're not under the law. Exactly for the same reason I said. The law is not even necessary if you're led by the Spirit, okay? Because you're listening to the Spirit and you're obeying the Spirit. It's the new covenant of the Spirit. If you remember in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 6, we're under the new covenant of the Spirit. So if we're led by the Spirit and, we're, and the fruit of the Spirit is being produced in us because of that, we're not going to give in to the lust of the flesh and then we don't even have to consider the law because we're fulfilling the law by the Spirit. Then, he, then he, he goes on, this is verse 25, this is after he talks about fruit of the Spirit. Since we what? Live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So we have a part to play. We have to keep in step with the Spirit. So you can't just sit back and be like, okay, hey, Holy Spirit, you totally blew it when I, uh, when I argued with somebody there because where, where were you? Why didn't you produce the patience in me and the self-control? No, we have a part to play. We partner with the Spirit and we obey. Okay. And so it's, it's an important thing to realize we do have a part to play, but our part is to be led by the Spirit and to keep in step with the Spirit and to walk by the Spirit and be led by the Spirit. He takes care of the rest. Okay, so Jesus is our example. Talking about led by the... Oh, sorry, I've got to move on here. 
How do we live by the Spirit then is the million dollar question. This is not just something we can read and be like, that's nice and just ignore and be like, okay, well, I must just be led by the Spirit because I'm a Christian. No, you have to be, you have to keep in step with the Spirit. You have a part to play. So how do we live by the Spirit? This is a key verse that I want us to memorize, (laughs) if you want. In fact, if I had to pick, which thank God I don't, but if I had to pick one scripture to summarize the entire gospel, like say it was uh, for some reason, hypothetically, you have to pick one scripture, what would you pick? I would probably pick this one. Because just look at what it says. This, is, this says it all. This is the very last scripture in the book of 2 Corinthians. The 2 Corinthians 13, 14. It says, May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and what? The fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Think about what's encapsulated in that one scripture. Everything is predicated on the love of God. Everything, 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 everything. The fact that you exist, love of God. The fact that he sent Jesus Christ to die for your sins, love of God. Everything. That's why we're a family. God wanted a family. And his whole purpose was to redeem us and to restore us to that place that Adam and Eve had in the garden. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You're saved by what? Grace. It's a free gift. Not by works, by grace. And then what? The fellowship of the Holy Spirit. That's how you live. After you're saved, you live by the Spirit. By fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit. You see that? It's a relationship. It's a relationship. And that's the beautiful thing. How many of you read uh, Good Morning, Holy Spirit? Oh, wow, I'm in good company. Of course you all did. I mean, that's like most of you. Okay. Well, you guys know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, highly recommend it. We had it on the book table. Not sure if we still do. It might be sold out, but we might have it. The po- well, that is such a phenomenal book that really honestly impacted a lot of people who were catalysts to major revivals, like the Argentinian revival and so forth. But anyway... The reason that book is amazing, it's essentially Benny Hinn's testimony about how he got the revelation that the Holy Spirit's a person and that you can have an amazing, deep relationship with him. And that's what changed everything for Benny Hinn. And come on, Benny Hinn. We all know Benny Hinn. Why? Because he, because of his relationship with the Holy Spirit. Wow, that's a good book too. I think we might still have that one. The Holy Spirit by John Bevere. Did you get that here? No? Well, he has it in his pocket. Man, nice to meet you. We, we <laughs> I love that. You just, what's that? Did you hear that? He brought two copies in case anyone wants one. That's a great... Thank you, sir. What's your name? Bless you. That's amazing. If anyone... So talk to him because that's a good devotional. That, we had that on the book table, too. That might be sold out. It's The Holy Spirit by John Bevere. Really good book. Uh, and so it's already been given away, but if we might have it on the book table, so really good. Thank you. Carrying it around. Perfect. I love it. Okay, good ex- you're a good example. So anyway, Benny Hinn's book, it's just such an encouraging testimony of the reality of the relationship you can have and are supposed to have with the Holy Spirit. And Catherine Coleman, he got, anyway, he got that revelation from her. So that's the key verse. So keep that verse in mind. 
because I'm going to be talking about some things today. But that's honestly, fellowship with the Holy Spirit, communion with the Holy Spirit is the bottom line. That's the answer to everything when I ask you a question uh, uh, today, <laughs> essentially. Okay, so talking about being led by the Spirit now, how do you be led by the Spirit? First thing I want to talk about is by hearing His voice. By hearing His voice. This is His ministry. In fact, one of the major parts of his ministry to us is that he speaks to us, that, so we can be led by him. And I want to just show you this verse from John 16, 12 through 15. Think about this. This is Jesus. This is some of his last words on earth before he was crucified. How many of you know when you say something and it's your last words before you die, that's important, you should be listening? What does Jesus, this is... Jesus says this as some, one of the last things he says to his disciples. And he spends, I just encourage you, read John 14 through 16. A lot of it's about the Holy Spirit. In fact, in verse 9, he says, it's better for you that I go. Because if I don't go, he won't come. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. And anyway, look what he says here. Talking about, he, at verse 12. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. Talking about being led by the Spirit. He'll guide you. He'll lead you into all truth. How? It says he will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what's yet to come. How many of you want to take the Bible literally? I do. So when he says the Holy Spirit will speak to you, how many of you take that literally, that the Holy Spirit will speak to you? That he will actually tell you, it says here. He will tell you what's yet to come. That's just not some figurative, abstract, okay. No, he will speak to you. This is Jesus Christ telling us this. How many know Jesus doesn't lie? Come on. He's the personification of truth. Verse 14. He will glorify me because it, it's from me that he'll receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father's mind. Look at this. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me and he'll make it known to you. Okay, just remember that. Because we're talking about the ministry of the Spirit. How do you be led by the Spirit? My first point is that He speaks. And I want us to raise our expectations and our faith believing this. That He speaks and He speaks clearly. And I'm going to show you some verses just to, just to build some faith on this. Okay, So look at, I, I just have some ex few examples. Uh, Hebrews 3, 7 and 8. So as the Holy Spirit says, okay, talking about him speaking, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. And he goes on. You, look, it's the Holy Spirit saying this. He talks. <laughs> 1 Timothy 4, 1, look at this. The Spirit clearly says that in the later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. What's my point? He clearly says. He speaks clearly. We need to, if we don't believe that, we need to. Because this is the Bible saying that he speaks, he speaks clearly. What I want to do now is just show you some examples of this from the early church. This is how they rolled. This is how they lived. Go figure, live by the Spirit. That's why Paul told us to live like this. Okay, so here's just a few examples of the Spirit speaking to them. This is how they operated. So from, uh, and I'm just giving you some examples. There's more than this. Acts 10, 19 through 20. I don't have time to give you context, but this is the first time that the, that the uh, Spirit is sending people, specifically Peter, to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Before this, it, it hasn't gone to them yet. So this is the story of Cornelius. 
And Peter's on the roof and he has a vision and yada, yada, yada. What's the point? Look at this. Acts 10, 19 through 20. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, because he had this really odd vision where these creepy animals were coming down and God's like, hey, eat, get up and eat those. And Peter's like, I'm not going to eat those. Those are unclean. And God's like, don't call anything unclean that I say is clean. So Peter's like perplexed. Because in his mind, he's like, man, the law tells me not to do this. And I haven't done it since a kid. And God's telling me to do it. This is crazy. Then look at this. In the meantime, these three Gentiles come to his house. And the Spirit said to him, look at this, full sentences. <laughs> three full sentences. The Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. Go, so get up, go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. This is blowing his mind. Why? Because it's illegal, according to the law, to go with them and be hosted by Gentiles. In fact, he goes to their house and says, you guys realize this is against the law. But the Spirit told me to do this. Remember this. What did it say in Galatians 5, 18? Those who are led by the Spirit are not under the law. Peter's getting this revelation here. Oh, my, the law, but the Holy Spirit. So, but what I love, what I love, and this is so commendable, is Peter goes. Imagine how hard that would be. Peter goes when the Spirit tells him to, even though it goes every, against everything he was ever taught. He's, I didn't hear that, but I'll probably say amen. What's that? Only guy got out of the boat. That's a good point. Amen. You see, what I love about Peter, too, is he didn't bother consulting with the leaders of Jerusalem because he was so obedient to the Spirit, he just went. Why does this matter? If he had gone to them first, they would have said, that's not, the, that's not God. God would never tell you to eat unclean animals. God would never tell you to sit with Gentiles in their home because that's against the law. That can't be God. But Peter said, no, the Spirit told me this. He obeyed anyway. If he had gone to them first, they probably would have prevented it. How do I know this? You look, read chapter 11. That's exactly what happened. You went to Gentiles' houses? Peter, they're mad. And he said, guys... You don't get it. Look at what he says. This is verse, now, uh, chapter 11, 1 to 12. He's telling the story. He says, Right then three men had been sent to me from Caesarea, stopped at the house where I was staying. Look at this. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation going with them. And then they received the Spirit speaking tongues. What was that? Well, what am I supposed to do? And they're like, oh, okay. Well, in that case, <laughs> the Spirit spoke to him. Think about how important it is. That was the first time the gospel came to the Gentiles. Because, remember, being led by the Spirit, obeying the Spirit's voice. Crucial. Crucial in the Christian walk. All right. Here's another few examples. He'll, remember what, what Jesus said in the, in the verse I said in John 16. He will tell you what's yet to come. That's part of his ministry. Okay? So look at this, Acts eleven twenty eight. This is Agabus, one of the prophets. Uh, one of the, so verse 28. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. What's the point? The Spirit. Notice the Spirit. The Spirit told him, hey, guy, Agabus, <laughs> a famine's coming. Okay. And this might not be too surprising because the prophets spoke through the Spirit. But I want you to see what the point is. He tells you what's going to come. 
as part of how he leads you. Acts 21, 10 to 11. After we had been there for a number of days, a prophet named Agabus, same guy, came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, the Holy Spirit says, and this way the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of his belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. The Holy Spirit says, how many of you have ever heard a prophet say that? <laughs> it's usually, thus saith the Lord. No, he, but in the New Covenant, the Holy Spirit says this. Clear sentence, right? Isn't that interesting? Talking about the prophetic now. All right. Look at this. This is phenomenal. Acts 13, 2 to 14. Talking about the Spirit speaking now, okay? Look at this. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. This is in Antioch. Worship is powerful, and the presence of God comes. How many, did anyone feel the presence when we're worshiping today? Yeah, thank you, Jesus, because the Holy Spirit comes, and he speaks often in the midst of worship. Okay, so they're worshiping. Then look at this. The Holy Spirit said, remember, he speaks clearly, full sentences. What did he say? Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Whoa. This changes everything. This is Paul the Apostle's commission. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. He spoke this to them. Then look. So, so after they'd fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on him and sent them off. On them, rather. The two of them, look at this, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Cilicia and sailed from there to Cyprus. Sent by the Spirit. So not only does he call you, commission you, he's the one who sends you. He's the one who calls you. Okay, not men. Not human beings, the Holy Spirit. And we have to wait for his commissioning before we go and do what God's called us to do. He will make it known when the time is right. Making decisions with the Holy Spirit. Trisha and I talked about that when we talked about her testimony two weeks ago, if you're interested. Making decisions. This is how the early church operated. Talking about being led by the Spirit. Look at this. This is one of the most important decisions made in the early church. Some people were saying, you got to be circumcised. And this was like, no way. No, you don't, right? So there's a, it was a huge deal. It was a regulation, a huge deal. So they took this back to the apostles in Jerusalem, and they're debating this. They have a meeting. It's like the who's who of the early church. Uh, I was going to say zoo. The who's who of the early church, the apostles, all convened in Jerusalem to talk about this issue. Should we get them circumcised, the Gentiles now? Look at what they said now. They wrote the Gentiles a letter, and this is what they said. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. And then he talks about abstaining from food, sacrifice, idols, and food. What's the point? Look at how this was so normal and so casual that it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. They actually consulted him. Go figure. It's like the Holy Spirit was like on the board or something. He's like, yeah. The Holy Spirit's like, yeah, guys, you know, circumcision thing. No, I, not, not while I'm here. <laughs> they're like, hey, it's, isn't that neat? Seem good. How many have you ever heard anyone say something? Like that? It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Thank God they consulted him because if they didn't, I'm guessing we might be under circumcision. How many guys are thankful that they asked the Holy Spirit his opinion on this one? Come on. Yeah. 
Look at this, Acts 19.21. After this happened, Paul decided in the spirit to go to Jerusalem. Decided in the spirit. Right? He consulted the spirit. Passing through Macedonia and Achaia, after I've been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. Talking about led by the spirit. This is another, even though we might not see this, look at how Paul operated in the early church. Okay? Because you got to remember, Paul is called to the Gentiles. That's his commission. Right? You know this. Jesus, when he knocked him off the horse and appeared to him, you're called to the Gentiles. So Paul, out of that commission, just went. Right? That's a good thing. We're going to go to the Gentiles and preach the gospel. But look at how they operated. Okay, so this is Acts 16, 6 to 10. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia. Look at this. Having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Isn't that an interesting thing? Because often what we do is out of principle of the Great Commission, we would just say, oh, Let's go to Asia. That sounds like a good thing. Yeah, yeah, everyone would be on board with that. Why wouldn't we go to Asia? Yeah, they need the gospel too. Presumption. Because you think about the Holy Spirit stopped them from going there. Why would he stop? Like if you think about if we just based everything off of logic and reason, that's a reasonable thing. I'm going to go preach to Asia because God sent me to the Gentiles. They're Gentiles. Thank God, though, that they consulted the Spirit. And you see, often it doesn't make sense, does it? Because, like, I already talked about Acts 10. But imagine, like, hey, guys, we're not going to go to Asia, even though we had this whole mission trip planned because the Spirit stopped us. People might be like, are you sure that's the Spirit? Like, why would he tell you not to preach to them? You know what I'm saying? Like, people can have a problem with it, but thank God they obeyed. Look at this, verse 7. And when they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them. Timing's everything. Why? We don't know, but there's obviously a reason. Maybe they would have got murdered or something crazy. So the Spirit's like, no, no, not time yet. Led by the Spirit. You don't want to be presumptuous. Is the Spirit telling you to go there? On, this, on, the note, on that note, though, Paul was going. Okay, Paul, out of principle, was going. So what does that say? That tells me that if you don't have a clear word from God, go and do what he told you to do. Okay, oh, he told me to preach to Gentiles, I'm going to go there. But always asking God with a positive heart, God, I think this is what I'm, you, you want me to do. Let me know if I'm off. And clearly the Spirit told him, okay, no, you're off. You don't go there yet. Then look what happens. So they passed by Mycenae, went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. Verse 10, after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. I love this. The Holy Spirit can't be confined to how he talks to you. He is so creative. He'll talk to you every which way. This time it was a vision of some guy being, come to Macedonia. And then they concluded that that must mean we're supposed to go there. That's awesome, right? Because we're talking about the Spirit speaks clearly, and I want us to believe for that, but he also speaks through visions, he speaks through dreams, he speaks through prophetic utterance, he speaks, you name it. And in fact, I love that because uh, I remember, I, I wish I remember which prophet this was. He was one of those international prophets, if I told you, you'd know his name. It might have been Bobby Connor or something. 
He was, <laughs> I remember this story, whoever it was, it might have been James Gall. He was going to teach people how to hear God's voice. That was, okay, that was what he was going to do. Like, he was invited somewhere. So he's like, well, I should pray to God and ask him, okay, God, like, how, what do you want me to tell them? How do you, you know, how, how should I teach this to them? You know what God said? I think it was an audible voice. He said something like this, tell them I'll speak to them however I want to speak to them, period. And it was like a rebuke. Like, don't put me in a box. I will speak to you however I want to, and I love that. Because he'll speak to you in ways he won't speak to me and vice versa because we have different personalities. We're different people, and he just loves it like that. We're body of Christ. We're all different. Why is this important, though? You might be like, what's the big deal? Do you know, this is a defining moment in the history of Western civilization. How can I say that? Be so audacious to say that. They, the gospel could have just as easily went east to Asia as it went west to Rome. And because of this decision, it went west to Greece and then to Rome, and hence that we are the product of this decision. Isn't that, isn't that heavy? <laughs> Thank God they were led by the Spirit. Yeah? Thank you, Jesus. And this is how we're supposed to live. Now, I love this quote, and it goes along with all this that I'm saying. This is Rick Joyner now from Torch and the Sword. That's the third book in the final quest. You do not need to understand to obey, but after you obey, you'll start to understand. Beautiful. It's so true. Because, like, and you guys remember from our testimony, it doesn't make sense often. And Paul could have just easily said, like I said earlier, wait a minute, why, why, is, why would the Spirit tell me not to go to Asia? They need the gospel. I'm just going to go. But he didn't just do that. He obeyed, and then look what happened. And we're the product of it. The entire world was transformed. Okay, so, so you don't need a, it might not even make sense. You might get tons of resistance. Obey anyway. Then it'll make sense. It always does in retrospect. God tells us to step out in faith. And that's what we have to do if you're going to be led by the Spirit. Last but not least in this section, talking about the Spirit speaking to you. Acts 20, 22 to now, now this, is, this is kind of a sad story. <laughs> Paul, is no, Paul knows he's going to die, essentially. At least he thinks so. And he was in Galatia for three years, okay? Three years. I mean, we're not even three years old as a church. We're like just over two. Paul, so they love this guy. And this is his final farewell. They all think he's dying. They're like weeping. This is his last words to them. The, the church at Ephesus, okay? Verse 22, and now, what? Compelled by the Spirit. Talking about being led by the Spirit. I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. Talking about obedience. Come on, and thank God, look at this, the Spirit compelled me to go. He warned me. Because what? Jesus said he'll tell you things to come. This is how, hey, Paul, God, you got to go, but I'm telling you what's going to happen. This is hypothetically the spirit now. At the, at the total, 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 he had so much pressure not to go. All of them are like, don't go, Paul, don't go. They're sad. Come on. It's, he's like, you guys are breaking my heart. But look, the spirit's telling me to go. 
And we talked about what? If you're led by the Spirit, Galatians 5.16, you won't satisfy the lust of the flesh. I am certain if Paul was a human being, he was tempted not to go. Huh? Prisons, hardships, or the church of Ephesus with people I totally love. Right? No. Thank God Paul obeyed. And this is why Paul tells us over and over and over and over again, be led by the Spirit. This is the key to Christian life. Verse 28, keep watch over yourselves in the flock. Look at this, of which the Holy Spirit made you overseers. The Holy Spirit, not a democratic vote who would be the best overseer. The Holy Spirit, he's the one who calls you to this position. So be faithful with it. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his blood. Now, I'm talking about how the Spirit speaks, okay, this section, this whole section. And, and, and this is what I, my point in this is like, you guys know my conviction that you read the book of Acts and it's like, man, this is how they lived. This is not impossible. If it's in the Bible, how many believe this is for real? How many believe that God's no respect their persons? How many believe we can hear the Holy Spirit just as clearly as anyone has ever had? How many believe that Holy Spirit can speak clearly in sentences like this and warn us and compel us and guide us and lead us? Yeah? I want us to raise our expectations believing this because as we believe it, faith, asking, seeking, knocking. And I talked all about this in the first message I gave in this series, the importance of shameless audacity. If you're interested, there's the link. You can also go on our website, ctfottawa.com podcast. Why am I saying that? Because I want us to raise our expectations and go for it. There is no reason that we as a community, uh, there's nothing, there's nothing's impossible. And this is what Jesus says in his prayer. In fact, he ends his prayer, if you guys remember, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? We just need to ask. That's all. We just need to ask. But I want us to have this faith, believing. Not only is this possible, it's for real, and it's going to happen. But we need to believe that. Expectancy is synonymous with faith, and we need to have that expectation. It's just as present. It's just as tangible and real for us today than it was, as it was back then. Now, I want to end on, on this. This is going to take a few minutes, but knowing the will of God by the Spirit, because we're talking about knowing God's will now. I was talking about, right, the Spirit's role, how he speaks. And I want to show you, okay, you might be like, well, how do I know God's will? Because he doesn't always speak that clearly, but we're going to believe for that, right? But he speaks in so many different ways. But I want to show you, this is how we know the will of God. How many of you want to know God's will for your life? Guarantee, you know, in fact, other than probably physical healing, that's the number one prayer request I, I get. It's like, hey, I'm making a decision. I need to know God's will. Or whatever, right? Or I just don't know. I feel whatever. It's all, it's all in that same genre of wanting to know God's will. That's so important. And it's, it's possible. Not only is it possible, we're supposed to. And it's by the Spirit that we get that revelation. And I'm going to show you that, okay? So how do you know the will of God? Now, I just want to uh, start off by saying this, showing you we can totally know God's will. It's not, it's not, I'm not making this up. <laughs> okay, so here's an amazing verse that you probably all know. This is Romans 12, 1 to 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, Holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And look at this, verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That, look at this, this is the key. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and what? Perfect 
will of God. Okay? Now, I want to say this. Everyone, according to this verse, should know and be able to prove what the will of God is. Yeah? Is that not what it's saying? Okay, so how then is the question. How? And, and in order to know God's will, you have to do the three things that are listed in that verse. And I just have them summarized here. Okay, in order to prove what the will of God is, this is what he says. You need to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. You need to not be conformed to this world. And this is the one I want to focus on today. You need to renew your mind. If you do those three things, there's that promise that you're going to know and prove God's perfect will. Guaranteed. Now, the question then becomes, because I think the first two are sort of straightforward, but the, the, the question becomes, how do you renew your mind? Right? Because if that's such a crucial key to proving God's will, how do you do it? And I, that's what I want to show you today. So... How many of you have heard any teachings on renewing your mind? So from this verse, I've heard a lot. And probably the number one thing that I hear, and this is fine. This is probably true, but it's not scripturally true. The way you renew your mind is by meditating on the Word of God or reading it. How many of you have heard of that? Yeah, that's a common answer. Now, that's fine and true, I'm sure. But it's, that is not what he's talking about here. How can I be so confident? The Bible wasn't even written when he wrote this. He's writing the Bible right now. So it makes no sense, right? He's writing a letter. He doesn't even know this letter is going to be in the Bible. So it wouldn't make sense. Hey, guys, read the New Testament because they didn't even have a New Testament. You know what they had? They had the Old Testament. That's it. That was their Bible. And that would, contextually in this letter, make absolutely zero sense that he would say meditate in the Old Testament because the whole letter of Romans, if you know, he trashes the law. And the old, right, trying to renew their minds that the Spirit is the key now in the New Covenant. Just read chapters 1 through 8 and you'll see what I mean. So it wouldn't make sense to be like, okay, no more, you're no longer under law, you're under grace, you're no longer under law, don't pay attention to it. And then he'd say, okay, now meditate on the law. That's how you renew your mind. That makes no sense, right? So he's not, he's, now, don't get me wrong that it's good to meditate on Scripture. I'm a huge advocate, you guys know that, of the Bible. But I just want to show you here, this is not what Paul's talking about. What's he talking about? And I want to show you a principle that's so important when you're reading the Bible. The context of the letter determines what he means here. So you have to go back and say, okay, what, what, was the la- what did Paul talk about in this letter or in this book about the mind? And fortunately, he talks a lot about it. And I'm going to show you the last verse... Going, rewinding all the way back to Romans 8 is the last time he talks about the mind. And this is such an important chapter. I, 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 I highly recommend you guys just meditate on chapter 8. Talking about life in the spirit. The, <laughs> they have a date in Romans 8. Nice. <laughs> What's your name? You're cool. I, thanks for your That's good. Okay. Uh, so the way you renew your mind is by the spirit. Look at this. There's a bunch of stuff in the mind, but I'm just show you a couple of verses. Romans 8, 5 to 7. This is the last time Paul talks about the mind. Those who live according to the flesh, what? Have their minds set on the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law, nor can it do so. What I love, now look at this. What's the key? 
The mind governed by the Spirit. What I, this is the 2011 NIV version. The 84 version says, the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. How do we renew your mind? Okay, this is the, now Paul goes on, talks about life in the Spirit. There's Romans 8. Then he, in chapters 9 through 11, he kind of goes on a bunny trail a little bit, talking about the Jewish, uh, uh, the place that the Jews have in the New Covenant. Now, it makes total sense within context of the letter, but it does seem kind of like a bunny trail, which Paul does sometimes. Um, but he is addressing Jews and Gentiles, how they live together. The point is, chapter 12, he says, Therefore, I beseech you, in light of all this, everything I said in this letter up until now, and then he gives the verse I just gave you, don't be conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's what he said back in chapter 8, but he used the word flesh. If you have your mind on the flesh, on this worldly system, it's death. If you have your mind controlled by the Spirit, governed by the Spirit, it's life and peace. What's my point? How do you have your mind transformed? Contextually, by the Spirit. Set your mind on what the Spirit desires, it says. Have your mind controlled and governed by the Spirit. That's the key to transform mind. Okay? Dragging with me? Cool, cool, cool. All right. Now, I want to show you this. Paul says this almost identically in a different way in a different book. And I want to show you. This isn't just a one-verse thing. This is the truth. So this is Ephesians 4, 17 through 23. And I'm reading this one from the NLT. I like how he, it words it in this, uh, this scripture. But look at this. I'm going to start in verse 17 because I want you to remember chapter 12, 1 to 2. And notice the par parallels. With the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they're hopelessly confused. Look at this. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against them. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasures and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But look at this. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes uh, from him, Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life. Remember, don't be conformed to this world, which is corrupted by lust and deception. But look at this, verse 23 and 24. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Asking the question, how do you get your mind renewed? Pretty clear, right? It's by the Spirit. Let Him renew your mind and your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Talking about how do you know God's will, right? The Spirit renews your mind. But look at this. And you guys know if you've been here for a while, I love the apostolic prayers. Especially this one. When someone asks me that they, they're making a decision and want to know God's will, I give them this address and say, pray this for yourself. I often feel prompted to give this. But notice what it says. This is Paul's prayer to the church of Col uh, Coloss the Colossae or whatever, Colossians. It's the Spirit that gives us the knowledge of His will, right? We're talking about how do you know God's will. Look at this. Verse 9, Colossians 1, 9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. Notice it's a constant prayer. It's not a one-time prayer God showed me where He says we not stopped. Look at this. He says we continually, we continually pray this. It's not a one-time prayer. We continually ask God, look at this, to fill you with what? The knowledge of His will. Through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. It's the Spirit who gives you the knowledge of His will. That's why being led by the Spirit is so important. How are we going to know God's will? He transforms our mind to prove His will. He leads us into all truth so we know His will. But what I want to show you, look at the rest of the prayer. This is the fruit of living in God's will. These things. 
Think about it. He says, I want you to be know God's will through the Spirit. Look at this. So that, verse 10, you may what? Number one, live a life worthy of the Lord. How many of you want to live life worthy of the Lord? Number two, please him in every way. How many of you want to please God in every way? Number three, bearing fruit in every good work. How many of you want to bear fruit in every good work? Come on. Number four, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so what? You may have great endurance and patience. How many of you know we need great endurance and patience? Come on. And six, giving joyful thanks to the Father. Because the Spirit produces joy in us. We know that from the fruit of the Spirit. Also, Romans 14, 17 says, The kingdom of God is not a matter of food or drink, but what? Righteousness, peace, and what? Joy in the Holy Spirit. Come on. So, what's my point? All of this comes out of knowing God's will, living God's will. How do we do that? By the Spirit. That's why these imperatives to be led by the Spirit of the children of God, walk by the Spirit, all this is so crucial. Talking about life in the Spirit in the New Testament. This last portion of Scripture I want to show you, okay? Because we're talking about this is the Spirit. This is how, how many want to know God's will? There are a lot of keys in these verses I'm giving you. Okay, this, I recommend you read 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the whole chapter, but I'm going to start in verse 9. However, it's written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things God's prepared for those who love him. Look at this, number, verse 10. These things God has what? Revealed to us by the Spirit. This is why in Ephesians 1.17, Paul prays that the spirit of wisdom and revelation that you would receive so that you would know him more. Intimacy. The Spirit gives us revelation into these hidden things of God. Then he goes on, and, 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 and uh, this is, you'll see why this is important. The Spirit, verse 9, searches all things. Or verse 10, rather. Even the deep things of God. How do you know God's will? He's saying it right here. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we've received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who's from God so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. Verse 14, the person without the spirit doesn't accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because what? They're discerned only through the spirit. See how important the Holy Spirit is. The person with the Spirit makes judgment on all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord is to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. How many of you have heard this verse before? <laughs> Often taken out of context. How do we have the mind of Christ in context? Think about what he's saying here. The whole thing is the Spirit knows the thoughts of God. The Spirit reveals the thoughts of God. How do we have the mind of Christ? How do we have the thoughts of Christ in this context? Anyone? The Spirit. The Spirit. That's what he's, this whole thing he's saying. The Spirit reveals the mind of Christ to us. We have the mind of Christ through the Spirit. That's why it's important to keep things in context. The Spirit reveals the mind of Christ. And I just want to remind you before I, I end, remember we, we, I gave you this verse. 1 John 16. This is what Jesus says. 
right? He's going to give you the spirit of truth. He'll guide you in all truth. He'll speak and tell you what's to come. Okay? But look at what he says in verse 15. All that belongs to the Father's mind. That's why I told you, why I said the Spirit will receive from me and will make it known to you. Same thing in a different way. We have the mind of Christ. We know his thoughts through the Spirit because he's the, that's his job description. He's the Spirit of truth and will reveal these things to you. The deep things of God. The things that are in God's mind. Because only his Spirit knows those things. And thank God for the Holy Ghost. We all have them if we're saved. And he can speak to us. And that's how we have the mind of Christ. So question, how do you know the will of God? Get to know the Holy Spirit through intimacy. That's why I started off with the verse, fellowship with the Holy Spirit. That is how, that's the key to everything. That's how you know his will. That's how you learn how to discern his voice. That's how you walk in the Spirit. It's all through intimacy with the Holy Spirit, fellowship with the Holy Spirit. It's the only way. Well, one of the only way. I don't want to qualify, but it is. It's so important. That's why I highly recommend these books, like Benny Hinn's book, Good Morning Holy Spirit, because that's, it's through that intimacy with the Holy Spirit and that fellowship that you learn to hear his voice and discern his will. Okay? So it's the Holy Spirit who renews our minds and gives us the mind of Christ. He leads us into all truth. He's the Spirit of truth. That's his name, one of his names. He takes all that belongs to Jesus, makes it known to us. He gives us the mind of Christ. So what should we do in light of all this? Talking about knowing God's will. That's the question. What should we do in light of everything we talked about today? Intimacy with God is the key to being led by the Spirit. I want to say that again. Okay, and it's the second value in the fire values. If you guys don't know, fire is an acronym. The second value is intimacy with God through hearing His voice. <laughs> really biblical. Spend time with him and ask him to speak to you. Remember in Luke 11, 1 through 13, Jesus prayer teaches us how to pray, ask, seek, knock. Those who ask, receive. Those who seek, find. Those who knock, the door will be open. Pursuit. And then he says, ask for more of the Holy Spirit. Inquire of him when making decisions. Go figure. Just like Paul and all of them. I showed you all those verses where that's how they rolled in the early church. Step out in faith, even if it doesn't make sense. Proverbs 3, 5 to 6. Love this verse. I'm showing you the NLT version. Look at this. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. If we're guilty of anything in the West, it's that. The Bible says no. Don't lean on your own understanding. Because if you do, you might go to Asia when the Holy Spirit's telling you not to. <laughs> right? <laughs> or whatever. But look at this. Seek his will in all you do. Another version says acknowledge him in all your ways, not some of your ways, not in some things you do, all you do, and look at what it, the promises, and he will show you which path to take. Guaranteed. Right there in black and white. So, I'm asking the question, which we do not later this, of course, spend time with the Holy Spirit, soaking, whatever, praying. As you fellowship with him, he's going to teach you how to lead, be led by him. Because he, right, he speaks to us differently. And if you want to learn how to hear his voice and to be led by the Spirit, you need to put in the time. If you sow, you reap what you sow. If you sow yourself with time, you're going to reap more of him. <laughs> I believe that principle to be true. Meaning if you take the time to spend with him, he's going to reward you for it. It says that in Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it's impossible to please God because you must first believe he exists and that he's a rewarder of what? Those who diligently seek him. Think about that. It's impossible to please God if you don't believe that. You have to believe he's going to reward you for diligently seeking him. 
And these are just some, uh, John 14, 26, he'll teach you all things. 1 John 2, 27, as for you, the anointing you receive from him, talking about the Holy Spirit, uh, live, remains in you, and you don't need anyone to teach you. But look at this, the anointing teaches you about all things. The Holy Spirit's our teacher. So you want to be, learn how to hear his voice, be led by the Spirit, all this stuff that's obviously super important. Spend time with him. That's it. It's super simple. Thank God the, 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 the gospel's really simple. We make it really complicated. <laughs> but it really boils down to spending time with him. Okay? And last week, talked about prayer as a super crucial key. When the disciples asked Jesus how to pray, the first message in the series I talked about, that link I showed you earlier, but look at what he says in verse 13. This is how he ends his, his instructions and in how to pray. How many of you think this is important? Jesus t- telling us to do this. He says, If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give what? The Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Pretty simple, isn't it? Jesus is saying, look, you need to have this as an integral part of your prayer life, asking for more of the Holy Spirit. And God promises you'll give them. That's why in the apostolic prayers, you'll notice most of them start with a prayer for the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Amen.